0: Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. words of the Hebrews preacher, reflecting on where we should place our hope and our strength in our life, Kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to continue our time together in the studying of the Sermon on the Mount. And in case you're like my wife and you wonder just how long is the series going to last, Jordan, this week, then I'm gone the ninth, and then I'll finish up on Father's Day. And so that is the plan. Lord willing, we'll have two more weeks together studying. The Sermon on the Mount. Now uh, what I have uh, shared with you uh, in the last couple of weeks is uh, talking about, or a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, the secrecy of our righteousness, of doing our acts of righteousness quietly without having to be noticed, and that we don't need to seek human approval because our God and Father in heaven sees what we are doing in secret and he, re- he rewards us. And so it is that sort of comforting sense that there is God the Father who cares for us and he knows exactly what we're up to and he sees these things and he, he will reward that. Well, This morning we're going to sort of take a flip on it and say, okay, so God sees what's done in secret and he knows who you are and he cares deeply for you, but, but what about this life that we live and all the trouble that we face and all the hardship? You see, there's a, there's a very real struggle in our world. Um, I wanted to get a better sense of what's, of what's going on worldwide, big picture. And I, and I think about this text that we're going to read today that tells us not to worry. And, and I think, you know, are, is anybody else out there a worrier? And it turns out there's a worrying problem. And so nobody's really listening to Jesus when he tells us to not worry. And you guys have probably read the passage, and it's sort of this sense of yeah, I know I know I'm not supposed to worry, uh, but I do it sort of anyway, uh, anyways. And and maybe even if you're like me, a lot of your prayers, if you reflect on your prayers, a lot of your prayers are just worries being you know shared with God. And so um, I don't think Jesus tells us to stop worrying so that we add to our life instead of worry we just add guilt to our life because we've been worrying. like okay now we're disobeying jesus there's no hope for me i think jesus is trying to teach us something about our relationship with our father in heaven i think jesus is trying to sort of pull back the curtain and just sort of say here's the way things are operating in the world I'm going to read the text. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, so that you only have two sermons left in the sermon series. Uh, so we're going to dig in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter six. We're going to read um, what is probably some of the most familiar teachings of Jesus, and uh, probably not share anything new or ins- uh, too new. But uh, hopefully, um, hopefully each and every one of us would leave encouraged this morning to know that we have a father in heaven who cares for us and he cares for us deeply and if we can get that hooked into our heart just a little bit more i think that we will see a sense of peace in our lives that um would be good because the truth is uh the world is filled with all sorts of worry and problems you know uh my sort of demographic in the world and in, in America if you look at the World Health Organization a 35 year old white male middle class has the highest rate of suicide if you live in in a uh, in the majority world if you live in which is just the way of saying the way we used to talk about the third world country um, it's not 35 to 40 50, uh, 50 year old males that are committing suicide it's women and children in an impoverished worlds i don't understand how it all works but right here in our context if you see someone who's committed suicide more often than not it's someone in my demographic and so i don't know the uh, i don't know why the pressure or what's going on that it's 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 a problem but we all worry and we all struggle and we all want to know how to navigate our life and do so uh, in a way that's trusting in God. And I think Jesus has some encouragements for us. Some things that he wants us to know deep within our hearts that we would be transformed by his spirit. And so if you've ever dealt with worry or anxiety and, and Jesus tells you to not worry, just ask that the Spirit this morning, that we would just listen to the Spirit and what the Spirit is saying to each of us. It's saying to our hearts, because I know that we can have anxiety. I know that we have trouble and problems. I know that we have issues of trying to pay our bills in the week and trying to take care of our kids and not worrying about our grandkids and the world that they're being brought up in and all all of these things that sort of start piling on Sorry if I've put you all into an anxiety, p- panic attack. I'm just going to get to the text. We all worry. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse eight, uh, 19. Rather. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be destroyed or i'm sorry or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? I think the whole key to the Sermon on the Mount is found in verse 633. The whole thing is about how we, as the children of God, would begin seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You know, I've uh, I've shared with you uh, so many times, and I believe the gospel message that Jesus preached is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is something that's breaking into the world when Jesus when Jesus arrives. It says in Matthew 4, 17, that Jesus began preaching the kingdom of God as a hand. Each of his parables in the Gospel of Luke, it says, and the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom because he wants us to get that God's reign is breaking into the world. And when Jesus is uh, crucified on the cross, it seems like this kingdom hasn't broken into the world the disciples were thinking, hey, our hero has come and he's arrived and everything uh, everything is good. And then he ends up killed. And then Jesus, he's raised from the dead. And he walks among the people and he's seen by his close friends and he's seen by 400 others, And then he ascends to the throne of God. And then the light bulbs go off. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> the kingdom of God has arrived. And we get to begin announcing this, and then you see in Paul's preaching, and and throughout the uh, book of Acts, Paul is teaching and he's advocating and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, this new life is available. And so, you know, uh, Mason's uh, Mason's, uh, uh, devotion this morning about redundancy, um, I understand the redundancy of it. But the reason why you're redundant with sharing the message of the kingdom of God and announcing that Jesus is Lord and King and Savior is because this is our hope and it is evidence of the unfailing love of God that something new has arrived and you no longer have to live the old life. There is new life for you. There is hope for you. There is salvation for you. There is forgiveness for you. In the meantime the world just sort of starts spinning its wheels. And it feels like the world is on a treadmill. It just keeps running in place. Day after day, year after year. Running after what? Stuff. You know, I I didn't think it was going to land in the sermon, but it, it's going to now. I I was curious about Instant Pots this week. I don't know why. Instant Pots took the world by storm. Amazon Prime in 2015, they sold on their Amazon Prime Day, they sold 215,000 Instant Pots. I don't know. I don't know why I have this information. In 2016, they sold 300,000 Instant Pots in one day. I think we should all go get Instapots if you don't have them yet, right? No? You guys aren't with me on this? Alright, yeah, whatever. If it's not one thing, it's another thing of what we need to go and get and purchase and run after. All of these things that we sort of chase after. The number one industry in America is not Instant Pot creation, though. You know what the number one industry in America is? It's not coal, it's not steel. It's not manufacturing cars. The number one industry in America is manufacturing anxiety. There was three hundred billion dollars spent last year on advertisements. Three hundred billion dollars on investing money to create and instill desire within you to have something that you don't already have, uh, that you don't have, or tell you that you need something new. How many times do you walk down the grocery store and you read the words new and improved? I don't know that they do anything to it other than make it smaller and make it cost more. But it's new and improved, so you might need to get it. My friends, we live in a world that sort of manufactures anxiety because it triggers within us that we don't have something and we're lacking something that we need. And so then we start stirring up this sort of sense of, boy, I need that. Tell me if you guys are like me. I, I'm, I'm a little quirky, but I need friends. I need to know that I'm not the only one. But who, uh, who like, you think, okay, I need this. And then you start researching on the Internet and then you, you're like, man, this would be really nice, and you read all the reviews, and you think, oh, but there might be something else that's better, and so then you go and you keep looking. Like, you find the thing that you think is good, and, but then it's like, oh, I'm going to keep going after it. And then, you know, maybe an hour later, you're still, you know, going through Amazon, and you have all of your saved for laters, and you think, okay, I think I'm going to buy this one. And then once you get through it and you buy it and it arrives two days later and you open it up and you realize, oh, I should have gone with the other thing. Raise your hand. Am I the only one? All right, there's some wives holding up their husbands' hands for them. Thank you. The, uh, but all of that is an anxiety-inducing behavior. Will this satisfy me? Will this bring me what I need? Will this be the thing that's just perfect and fits the bill just right? And you may not do it like a psychopath on Amazon like me, but you might do it in your own ways of walking through the store or seeing something on TV and thinking, oh, that would be nice. All of it to build up and breed anxiety. And Jesus, if we would just listen to his words, he says, stop thinking storing for yourselves treasures here on earth. Instead, would you seek treasures in heaven? And what I think Jesus is saying to us is right there in 633. I think the whole thing fits together. I think he's saying, would you start seeking first the kingdom that's available to you instead of seeking after all of these things of the world that promise great and under deliver always, every single time. I love my daughter Audrey. She is a truth teller. She makes observations. She's very astute. And she is uh, she is very quirky and fun. There was a deal, and I'd like to blame Wendy on it, but I was already having the inkling, which is, uh, you know, to get a bigger and better television. You know, ultra-high-definition, 4K, and a little bit bigger. I mean, why not? You're going to watch it anyways. You might as well watch it in ultra-high definition. Well, there just so happens to be some deals, and I had an MPERC coupon, $60 off. And, if you spent $200 or more, they knocked another $40 off. I'm thinking a $100 deal. And they already had a uh, 400 they had a $600 television marked down to $400 so i'm thinking $300 for a 55-inch ultra high def 5 or 4k television what a deal right it's worth spending your money on i got out the old tape measure in the living room and i started eyeballing and be like okay there's 55 inches that would be really nice Audrey what you doing dad I'm measuring for a new TV. Why, Audrey? (laughs) Good question, Audrey. Why? And I have no answer. She's like, "Is this one broken?" No, it's not, Audrey. It's not broken. Thank you for bringing it up. I'll just put the coupon away. I don't need no 55-inch ultra high-def TV. I'll just be satisfied with my 43-inch. We live in a world where we are beckoned, beckoned daily to search for more, to get better, to have the best. And I wonder if the anxiety that falls on 35-year-old white male isn't that we are running away from who we are called to be as children of God who find their trust in their life and their salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus, he just asks us, he says, would you seek the things that really matter and really last? And the scriptures are trying to tell us something. They're trying to tell us that these things don't last that we chase after. And there's one thing that does. And that there's a kingdom being offered to us that cannot be shaken and it will withstand everything. And no matter all of the trouble in the world, no matter all of these things that break in and want to cause deterioration and destruction and all sorts of pain and hurt, God is saying, I'm offering you something eternal. I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you an eternal king. I'm offering you eternal strength and the living water and living bread and it is all for you and it is a gift for you. You don't need to have the special coupon to get the deal. It's right there available to you every moment of every day. The kingdom of God is for you. Stop seeking treasures of the earth. And start seeking Jesus. Start seeking the treasures of heaven. And so he tells us, stop worrying. And you think, okay, Jesus, I get it. I get that I'm supposed to stop worrying, but I'm really having a hard time following through with it. And Jesus doesn't give us instruction without also giving us promise and something to hold on to. And when He tells us not to worry, He also points us to something that we need to understand and we can so easily ignore and that we get so quickly distracted from. The, the honest truth is that we have a sort of goldfish-like memory when it comes to the faithfulness of God. The Israelites, I don't get them, but I relate with them and I don't know why I get so frustrated with them. Maybe because their lives almost feels like a mirror against my own. God just delivers the Israelites, you know, in miraculous style. And it feels so good to be judgmental of the Israelites. Like, can you believe these guys? God, he delivers them miraculously. There's the, uh, you know, he goes to war against Pharaoh using Moses. There's the ten plagues. It's absolutely incredible. There's no reason why you would think that anything other than God, Yahweh, the Lord Almighty is the deliverer. They get them through, so out of Egypt. They get them through the Red Sea. They're on the other side, and they th- sit around. We're kind of hungry here. We're kind of thirsty. And they start crying out to God and be like, send us back to Egypt. If you're just going to make us starve to death, why did you take us all the way through this? Just send us back to Egypt. God, I don't know how he shakes his head, but the guys, you know, I'm here, I've delivered you then, and I'm going to take care of you now. And God gives them water, and God gives them manna from heaven, and even gives them a little meat with some quail. You know, they didn't always do very well, but there's a cool story at the end of Deuteronomy 28, and they're reflecting on their life, and they're reflecting on God, and it talks about their sandals. And I just love this. It says that their sandals didn't wear out. God was in the business of feeding them the food that they needed and giving them the water that they needed, but he was also concerned about blisters on their feet. And so when Jesus tells us to look at the fields and he tells us to look at the flowers and he tells us to look at how he has clothed his creation and cared for it and cares for the birds, he asks this question, Jesus does, are you not much more, or how much more valuable to God are you than all of these things. Jesus is saying this resounding message is that you matter to your Father in heaven. He cares deeply for you. And so when I hear the words from Jesus, therefore do not worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat and what you'll drink and what you'll wear. I don't feel like I have the power to do that on my own. But when I look at the unfailing love of God towards his creation and his unfailing and unyielding love and devotion to people like Israel who are obstinate and stubborn time after time. And when I look and I reflect on God's faithfulness and steadfast love and loyalty in my life and in your walk, in our church's walk, You know, I can start breaking down some of that worry. Breaking down some of that anxiety. I can get off the treadmill for more and more stuff and all of these things that I just keep chasing after and never find myself where I want to be. I can get off of that track and I can start saying, you know, this is what it is to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. It's right there in front of me. And I can start seeing and sensing one of the most important truths that are scattered throughout the Bible. And it's this ongoing message that is so simple and so important, but we so often forget it. And that is, God, our Heavenly Father, is someone we can trust. You can trust Him. You can have your life, uh, you can find your life in Him. Will you trust in His unfailing love? When I first moved to Utna I was greeted by my sweet, sweet neighbor. She's not so sweet when she's rummaging in your garage at one in the morning. Then you embarrass yourself thinking you have a robber and you tell a story to your congregation, but I was met by, a, met by a sweet lady, and her name was Jean Price, and she greeted us with a plate of cookies. And the plate of cookies would be a staple of our relationship. And she would often deliver me the cookies. You know, some people deliver in Tupperware. That's not Jean's style. Uh, she would deliver the plate of cookies on a hopefully washed poultry uh uh you, you would go to the grocery store and get, you know, your chicken on the styrofoam platter. Well, she would keep those. You know, Jesus talks about having healthy eyes. He says he says you have unhealthy eyes that are filled with darkness or you have healthy eyes that give off light. And I've read that passage over and over again and you just kind of wonder, why does, why does Jesus throw this thing in here about unhealthy eyes? Well, it, it's an idiom. And it's an old idiom that Jesus uses. And, and when he says unhealthy eyes, it was an idiom to say stinginess. If you were being stingy, a way to say an, an idiom for being stingy is to say, well, that person has unhealthy eyes. And for you to be generous would be to say, well, you have healthy eyes. And so Jesus tucked in there is this little thing about having healthy eyes. You know, I don't know how well Jean saw, but I always saw in her healthy eyes a life of generosity and simplicity. I have had the pleasure of of, uh, of getting to know a sweet lady in the latter years of her life. Her name was Mina Mallott. She lived to be 101 years old, kids. 101 years. How many refrigerators do you think she owned? You might be surprised. She owned one, just one her entire life. She lived in two houses in 101 years, I think. I don't know. She can't validate it. But... Uh, one refrigerator and here i am thinking about owning my fourth or fifth television i only have one functioning one in my house right now but the the point is how many more things do i need you know and her refrigerator was massive and it was like the old style you know you like you close it and it's like the kachunk and like the roof shakes when you have to close it you know the walls are like that thick in it It doesn't have auto-defrost. I don't know if you kids know this. You used to have to, like, you know, defrost it manually, and it was messy. She had the same refrigerator her entire life. She also only had one eye. It was a one eye to one fridge ratio. I don't know if they're related, but uh, she would pop her eyeball out, and she would say, here, you want to see it? It's like, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? Please put it back. I don't want to hold it. It was a glass eye, Oliver. Oh, it was terrible. The sweetest, gentlest, kindest woman. And it's marked by simplicity and graciousness and kindness. I didn't know Hangy Stouter when he was in the right mind, but I'm told it wasn't uh, that it was always very right to begin with. But uh, he uh, he was a terrible driver, I'm told. I never witnessed it, but I've heard stories. He liked to run into things to see where he, he needed to park. So pulling into a parking spot, the curb at the front of it was to say, okay, you've arrived. He also thought that the reason why you have a bumper is to bump into it. Uh, and that was how he would park. While he was a bad driver, he was an even worse businessman. He owned a grocery store in our town. And when I had the pleasure of uh, sharing with family and getting to know uh, him more and hearing stories of how he ran his grocery store, yeah, he was a bad businessman, but he sought first the kingdom of God and how he ran it. And I can't tell you how many times people arrived in the visiting line or they told me stories about him of times that people were struggling and having a hard time getting by, and it was hangy Stouter who ran a grocery store and let people live on credit. And time after time they said, You know, we were hurting, and Hangi fed us. And he said, I don't and they would say over and over again, I don't know if we ever repaid him. Hangi didn't hang that banner on, on his wall as something to be uh, you know, to get acclaim and honor. He just did it because he was a person who was seeking first the kingdom of God. The invitation of scripture is for us to be a people with healthy eyes who live simple, gracious lives, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And these folks, Jean Price, she lived a simple, beautiful life, raising up a great big family, and she loved her garden, and she loved to be gracious. She loved to feed and care for others she sought first the kingdom of God every day, little by little. One small miracle at a time. I loved Mason's meditation today. Because that's what the hope is for all of us. That we may not be exactly who we want to be right now in this moment. But, but one day we will be. One unremarkable step at a time, one faithful act at a time. You know, I, I love to watch Sports Center, and I love to see the highlight reel. I love to see, the, you know, the miraculous one-handed catch. You know, for the person to get there, they didn't just wake up that morning and say, hey, I think I can do this. I think I can do a one-handed catch in the corner of the end zone to win the Super Bowl. Now, how many times did he practice that with his quarterback and get the timing just right? There were 100,000 practices before that to prepare them for the moment that everyone saw. I don't know what the grand moment will be in your life or even if there will be one. But what I know is a miraculous life and a transformed life before God is one step at a time, one faithful act at a time seeking first Christ in this kingdom and we can look back at the grand total of someone's life and we can say man those those people they had healthy eyes and they had these full hearts that loved the Lord I want to be like them Jesus tells us not to worry he tells us to seek first his kingdom And I'm here to tell you one more time that the kingdom of God is something available to you. There's a Father in heaven who says that he sees you, he hears you, he cares about you, he knows exactly who you are, he cares deeply for you, and you matter to him. This is a gift for you, and you can have life in his kingdom. You can have hope and salvation. All in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the life we have in your son. Of new life, of salvation. And I thank you for his teaching that has lasted the test of time to remind us of you, that you are our father and you clothe us and you care for us and you know our needs so, God, the story of Scripture is about your unfailing love towards us. Despite our obstinance and our stubbornness, despite our turning our backs on you. Father, you're ready to greet us with open arms when we return. And so, Lord, forgive us for all the times that we get so anxious and worked up about things happening in our world and all the trouble that comes Lord you say that trouble will come but you also say that you'll be with us so let us not sink in the water like Peter but keep our eyes fixed on you we love you and we thank you for life and hope and salvation and deliverance we want to walk with you Lord Guide us and lead us to you. Help us to live simple and gracious lives, seeking you as our Lord and our King. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm a sucker for TV shows. I really like the show Friday Night Lights with Coach Taylor. And I bring all of this up because there is a motivational speech that he does with his players every game to get them pumped and ready and focused. And I didn't really know what it meant until I read Matthew 6. And here's his motivational speech. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And when he says clear eyes, full hearts, his whole team says, can't lose. You know, and they're like, and then they go out and they win the game. It works every time. If we would have healthy eyes, clear eyes. Jesus says our hearts are where our treasure is. Well, let's have full hearts of the kingdom of Christ. And we have a kingdom that we can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. That's my Matthew 6 in a simple thing. Let's stand and say.